On a new billboard at a Hollywood intersection is a trio of cute creatures posed with the recumbent Ingrid Newkirk, the co-founder and president of PETA, the People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. She just turned 70, and PETA will soon turn 40, a respectable age for an organization dedicated to being disrespectful and shocking in its acts to stop institutionalized, corporatized animal cruelty. Newkirk was once called the Mother Teresa of Rabbits, for the rabbit is PETA's logo, a creature used for entertainment, killed for fur and meat, and subjected to medical, chemical, and cosmetic tests. Whatever PETA's repertoire of tactics, spraying fur coats with blood-red paint, shooting hidden camera videos of mistreatment of lab and farm animals, millions more Americans are now eating more vegan foods, buying cosmetics that aren't tested on animals, and keeping their distance from live animal entertainments. California's governor, Gavin Newsom, wants to shut down Santa Anita Racetrack until experts figure out why 29 horses have died there. The billboard's slogan is Sisters Under the Skin, and there is Newkirk wearing a skinned suit that seems to flay her epidermis to show that bone or flesh or muscle, all creatures great and small, are alike. What was your checklist and how has it changed? What have you ticked off and what is still to do? Oh, well, you know, the suffering of animals is enormous. The manner, manners in which they are abused is gigantic. You'll never be through with this work any more than you would if you were seeking world peace. But there have been huge victories along the way. People can remember things like Ringling Brothers, the largest circus in the world, closing down, which took decades of work. Recently, we had Gucci and Galliano and Diane von Furstenberg and Donatella Versace saying no to fur, which they had, all of them said, they would never give up. And it's gone, gone, gone. There are only about 12 circuses left in the entire country, and we are after them, hammer and tongs. And the public mood has changed. People's eyes have opened. They see how it's wrong to take a magnificent, intelligent elephant away from her mother and tie her up in chains and beat her to make her perform tricks she could never understand. Tigers pacing in cages. People now see them for who they are, not the little amusements that they used to think they were. We talk about modern entertainment, how primitive it is to go to an animal circus when you've got virtual reality. Entertainment has come so far, computer-generated imagery. You know, you don't need to see the beast wagons roll into town and have the children run out and see the poor pacing bear in a cage. Last month's German circus decided to switch from elephants and other animals to all 100% holograms. How much of that is PETA responsible for, do you think? There are a lot of animal organizations out there. Well, the more the merrier now. But, of course, when we began in 1980, there were a few SPCAs looking after dog and cat issues. We had the very first protest ever against chicken slaughterhouse, and the Washington Post reported it as much as to say Martians have landed. We got the first search and seizure warrant and the first confiscation of animals from a laboratory. So we started all these firsts, and we woke people up. And gradually, 
over the years, because we have been relentless, we say we don't really care what anybody thinks. We're going to be out there talking about it, leafleting about it, showing the videos of what really goes on so that consumers can make choices. And that is key. And that was has always been our role. So we were the innovators, the originators, and we are still going strong. How has PETA changed its tactics? We have always been educational. We've demonstrated, we've educated, we have litigated, we have we've been involved in legislation. We do corporate behind-the-scenes work, but that's not what people hear about. What people hear about and always have is the splashy things because they're eye-catching and because a celebrity might be attached to them or because they're making people turn their heads. So we still do those things, but today we are bigger. What has changed is that we now have the vehicle of social media and we are number one in advocacy groups of any kind on social media. Is PETA an animal welfare group or an animal rights group? Because there are animal rights groups that have gone to court to argue for the animal equivalent of personhood, a legal status. We're animal rights, and we did that with the orcas. We brought a 13th Amendment case to say the orcas are persons, but more than that, to say that the that slavery, which is defined under the in the Constitution as a condition. It doesn't tell you that you can only not enslave human beings. And we said, what, if anything, is an orca, if not a slave, kept in a barren concrete tank, deprived of being able to swim, wearing her teeth down on the metal grid, swimming in her own urine and chemicals, and unable to even use echolocation, and forced to perform tricks. We also brought a lawsuit about the so-called monkey selfie, Naruto, the monkey in, the, in Indonesia, who took his own photographs. And we said, look, instead of thinking of him as property, why can't he own property? Because the copyright law says that he who took the photograph owns the photograph, not he who, t- who owns the camera. It's been talked about and still is, in law schools across the country, as has the Orca case. And in the end, while we didn't win either of them, the photographer in the monkey selfie case has pledged 25% of his proceeds going forward to benefit the wildlife he photographs. This is flight number 914 from Earth to our planet. We will be taking off in three minutes. Mr. Chambers! Mr. Chambers, don't get on that ship. The rest of the book, to serve men, it's a cookbook. One of the fights that PETA has waged is about animals who are killed in slaughterhouses for meat. And you posed a couple of years ago hanging right next to the bodies of pigs. That was shock value. That was attention-getting. My father was in Borneo when I was a child, and he used to tell me that cannibals had always called human beings the long pig, because apparently we taste like pig, and we look like pig when we're on the spit, and that's always stuck in my mind. I wanted to make that point, is look, I have 
a heart, I have legs, I have arms, I have flesh and I'm flesh and blood, and, and so were they before they were killed, for nothing more than a fleeting taste. There are laws and efforts at laws against undercover mm-hmm. video in slaughterhouses because the meat companies don't want people to see what goes into putting meat on people's plates. Well, we have fought and won in all but two of those cases, the so-called ag-gag laws. The American public should be allowed to see how animals are turned into hot dogs and hamburgers and chicken nuggets. Why is it a secret? We conducted the very first investigation and got the very first felony convictions of workers for smashing turkeys against the side of the wall, kicking chickens as if they were balls, and smashing pigs in the face with cinder blocks and spray painting their eyes for fun or because the workers had lost their tempers. And now nobody in the meat industry wants anyone to see that because they might stop eating the products of their cruelty. Some states, principally California, have passed humane laws about the treatment of livestock animals like chickens and pigs and veal calves. Well, they're really inconsequential. I hate saying that, but they're totally pathetic. Even if they were enforced, which they're not, they're absolutely not humane laws. They're things that should make us ashamed to have ever thought of eating flesh or eating eggs or milk, which is even worse. Many of your successes have been in the U.S., Canada, Western Europe. You have whole nations where people want to eat like Westerners. They want to eat like Americans. They want burgers. This is a status symbol. This is a sign of a progressive and growing economy in that nation. That's true. Uh, We also, of course, have PETA India, which sees that very thing of young Indians wanting to reject the vegetarianism of their parents and grandparents, and westernize by eating meat, even beef. But in the West, it's going the other way. And so we are approaching youth in India, for example, to say, look, um, it's not cool to abandon these things. You can abandon them because you no longer believe in those religious values, but ethically, this is not a good thing, and health-wise, it's not a good thing, and environmentally, it's not a good thing. Saudi Arabia has had a very meat-intense diet, but now we're seeing vegan restaurants open up, even there, and a new movement beginning, because people are thinking, if not about animals, they're thinking about their health, they're thinking about the oceans, they're thinking about deforestation, and we're seeing that that is happening worldwide. It's just A slow process because there are so many human beings in the world and an ever-growing population. The PETA shelter in Virginia was criticized for having euthanized about two-thirds of the animals who were brought in. To many people, that euthanasia rate seems very contrary to the PETA mission. We run what we call a shelter of last resort. So we're surrounded by so-called no-kill shelters, which, of course, fill up immediately. People who are being evicted, perhaps, people who have an old animal who's wrecked with cancer, people who have an animal who is deathly ill, can't afford vet care, they can't get into those shelters for this final act. And so we provide free euthanasia services for anyone who can't afford them. 
and people write us thank you postcards. They write us thank you letters saying, if you hadn't existed, my animal would have suffered so much longer. It's tough, but yes, absolutely. A humane death is something that is undervalued by people who don't understand what we're facing. We never euthanize a healthy, placeable animal, ever. We're there 24 hours a day. Do you think too much emphasis is put nowadays on cute species and on dogs and cats rather than some of the unlovelier species that you also embrace? It always has been. It it absolutely always has been. We've done investigations in Zimbabwe and in Texas into crocodile and alligator slaughterhouses where no one cares at all about desensitizing the animals before they have their throats cut. They actually have alligators and crocodiles actually have a metal rod stuck down their backs while they're still fully conscious in order to kill them. And we went to Hermes and Prada to show them, look, ostriches are being killed this way. Snakes are being killed this way for exotic leather. And we take that to the public and say, you may not like them. You may not understand them. They may not have big eyes or be fluffy, but they have a nervous system. And if you cause them pain, they feel it just the same as a puppy, a kitten, your baby, or you. I don't have your remark exactly right, but it's something like a rat is a pig is a boy. And that, the opposition to animal experiments, people say you're equating me or my children to rodents. You are dooming humans to die, to suffer, because you're not willing to experiment on animals. The whole phrase, which was taken out of context, was when it comes to feelings like hunger, pain, and thirst, a rat is a pig, is a dog, is a boy. I will say, you know, to a rat, her children are important to her, and to a human being, a person's children are important to them. And there was a time when people said, oh, you can use gypsy children, and you can use GIs because they're all expendable. And you know, GIs were used in LSD experiments and, and poison gas experiments, and migrant Irish women were used in gynecological experiments because they didn't have any money, they weren't important. We used blacks in syphilis experiments in the South not that long ago and didn't tell them and let them die, to, die of syphilis. So there's always like, who cares about that group? I think we should care about all living beings. Just because we can't exactly relate to them doesn't mean you can torture them and harm them. We have high-speed computers that you can program with human data, not rat data. And so all these things have moved on so far from, you know, give the poison to the dog and put him in a cage and see how long it takes for him to convulse. You know, we need to wake up and say, this money needs to go into things that are promising, like epidemiological research, clinical trials. If all of these things were to come true, to come to pass, what would the world look like? Because I would think we might not have cows in the world because we've cultivated them for human food purposes. We wouldn't have slaughterhouses. We wouldn't have feedlots that stink up the entire Midwest. We wouldn't have to lie to our children about where what's on their plate comes from. 
We wouldn't have to pretend we don't know that animals suffer for all these frivolities and habits, dirty old habits. It would be a much better world. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Pat Morrison Asks is produced for the Los Angeles Times by Pat Morrison. It's edited and engineered by Mike Heflin. All Things Bright and Beautiful is sung by the Choir of King's College, Cambridge. The To Serve Man clip is from the Twilight Zone television show. Subscribe to Pat Morrison Asks and never miss a podcast. 